Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is a special year-end edition where I'm going to be interviewing six of the guests that we've had over this past year. And we're going to start with Natalie Pace, who is a stock picker extraordinaire. Welcome to the show, Natalie. Hey, Jordan. Thanks for having me. It's been quite a year, so why don't you just kind of sum up what some of the lessons you've learned from uh, in 2019 as we head into 2020? Yeah, I think that what everyone can learn from is that, you know, you just never know what the markets are going to do, right? Last year, the markets lost money. We saw the worst December that we'd ever seen since the Great Depression. And then this year, they came rallying back. So I think that what really needs to be reinforced here is that people should never have like market timing as their strategy. They should always just be properly diversified. And one key thing that's really important, and I'm so pleased to see that a lot of the online discount brokerages are now really stressing this as well, annual rebalancing. When you do annual rebalancing with a properly diversified plan, it's essentially buy low, sell high on autopilot, and it takes the emotions out of it. So um, anyway, that's, I think, the big lessons, especially for the stock side. I think there are other lessons of the Ford downgrade, for instance. You have to be very careful because what was safe in the last two recessions uh, might be a real problem in the next one. Um, bonds lost money, almost, especially the corporate bonds, they lost almost as much as stocks did in December. So um, people really have to know what they own and they need to know what's safe. And they also need to take a quick look at all of the fine print. For instance, a lot of people are completely unaware that money market funds now have redemption gates and liquidity fees. So there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of peril in the fine print on your safe side too. You talk about stepping off the asset bubble roller coaster. What assets do you think are uh, bubblicious, I guess you might say? Well, everything's pretty much at an all-time high. You're seeing leverage that's at an all-time high on the bond market. Stocks are at an all-time high with price-to-earnings ratios that have never been as high. There were two other times that's, that the P.E. ratio is this high. One was in 2000 before the dot-com recession, and NASDAQ stocks lost 78% during that one. And the other time was before the Great Depression. So we've got two right there that are by you know pretty realistic measures are very, very high. Real estate is back to an all-time high. I and mean, what a lot of people don't know is that it actually, prices have started to decline. So previously, we, saw, we were seeing sales decline, but the prices were still going up. And now prices since June have actually started to decline. So you're starting to see a tightening on uh, the mortgage market. Uh, even though, you know, the Fed's lowered rates, that doesn't, it's not seeming to help. You talk in the housing market about micro housing. What do you yeah. mean by that? Yeah, so this is kind of interesting is that, you know, how um, the millennials have faced all kinds of problems and they've come up with these really interesting solutions. So, you know, we, we tried to convince our kids that they shouldn't take rides with strangers and they invented ride sharing. <clears throat> but micro housing and intergenerational housing are the two new thing buzzwords that are going on. So, um, you know, it used to be, a, I don't know, 10 years ago that people say, oh, I can't kick my 27 year old out of the house. Well, now that they realize the reason they can't kick them out is because they can't get a great job and they have, you know, $1.5 trillion in student loan debt happening, people are starting to just go back to intergenerational housing. And it's actually for, you know, for that kind of uh, reality that we're in right now, where the millennials um, have way too much debt from college and they aren't able to get a job to afford themselves because housing is unaffordable, intergenerational housing and micro housing. Now, micro housing is slightly different. Micro housing is, um, they're, they're actually apartment buildings. I, I don't know if you've been to look at any of them in New York, but they make the unit themselves very small. Sometimes there is even a shared bath, but they have good community. So they might have like a spinning studio, a yoga studio, um, a communal place to eat and to, to that has Wi-Fi so you can do some work and have a beer all of this sort of thing. So there, it's this focus back more. It's very interesting because everybody thought that the internet was going to keep us all divided and we all live in our little pods. But what's happening, based because the money is pushing us there, 
as micro-housing with community developments and also intergenerational housing where families are just admitting that their, their kids need to be there. Another thing you want to talk about is the Thrive budget. We have consumer yes. debt at an all-time high, about $14 trillion. What can people do to get their debts under better control? You know, the big things is, is, again, a lot of people think in the olden days, it was true. If you were, you know, if you had a budget problem, it might be because you're a shopaholic. In today's world, it's not because you're having too many cafe lattes or shopping too much. It is really because the big ticket items have become unaffordable. So as one example, if you're healthy and you're spending an arm and a leg on health insurance, then you should seriously be looking at a high deductible plan with a health savings account. And that means that you're contributing to your own wealth instead of making the health insurance company rich. That money that you save on health insurance premiums can be socked away in your own health savings account so you can use it if you need it for the deductible. And in the meantime, you can invest it. Uh, compound gains, it becomes part of your retirement plan, it becomes the best long-term healthcare plan, and you have extra money in there. Um, That also builds up your wealth so that when you go to qualify for any kind of loan, um, you know, maybe you're going to buy a house, you're going to have, you know, be in a, a much better FICO score. So that's just one example. Another one is this intergenerational housing or micro housing. You got to start thinking, stop making everybody else rich And how can I keep more of my money? Or how can I keep more of the money in the family? So intergenerational housing, instead of having every single person paying rent and making the landlord rich is a good idea. Uh, If you can uh, get rid of your car, that might save you $7,500 in a big city that has good public transportation or a good micro mobility. You might be able to do that. Um, Santa Monica, I gave up my car a year ago. And uh, I love it. I'm actually probably healthy. I'm healthier as a result. So these are some of the great ideas that Natalie Pace has. People can find out more at your website, nataliepace.com. Just briefly say, what are some of the things people can find at your website? Well, I think that you can find everything you need. You can find my three best-selling books. Uh, my upcoming book, The ABCs of Money for College, will be there next, uh, in any time now. And you can also come to one of the investor educational retreats. We've got three or four up on the website, on the East Coast, on the webs, um, West Coast, and in England. And if you mention Jordan Goodman, then you can get a free coaching session and 100 bucks off. So be sure to do that if you're going to be registering for a retreat. Terrific. Well, thanks so much. We got some great ideas from Natalie Pace, our first guest of the year-end show. Thanks so much, Natalie, for being on the Money Answers Show. We'll be back after this. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. My second guest for this hour is Linda Goldberg. She's the president of CarQ which is a car buying service. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, year-end edition, Linda. It's so nice to be with you, and I hope I can answer all the questions that everyone is so interested in with their car buying experiences. Absolutely. So let's start with the, the state of the consumer market in cars. Are there a lot of discounts available now in buying a vehicle? Because car sales have been a little bit on the weaker side this year. Well, um, I work with uh, high-end managers and owners, and what I have found is through the years, you can anticipate what discounts should be. If you're buying a $20,000 vehicle, you could anticipate, oh, $500 to $1,000 that you have room to negotiate with. A $30,000 car, you'd have between $1,000 and $3,000 leeway to negotiate. A $40,000 car, somewhere between three and 5000 And then cars over 50000 there's probably potential to negotiate five to $7,000 off the asking price. Once you get into cars that are really the elite cars, such as uh, 
the two hundred thousand dollar car, you're not. They're not going to discuss price. You, you you pay what you pay. So for the normal consumer, most consumers right now are looking at cars that are selling between thirty and forty thousand dollars. So looking for that magical number that you can get a dealer to sell for is going to fall into those ranges. Again, 1000 to 3000 on a $30,000 car and maybe yeah. 3 to 5000 on a $40,000 vehicle. So how is it that you as a car buying service at carq.com can get people a better deal than if they went to the dealership on their own? Because CarQ isn't working with salespeople who have a 30% commission on the line, we're working with owners and high-level management. And we're working with multitudes of dealers, and those dealers, in most cases, know who CarQ is. We are working at a level of delivery where we do all of the pricing and the negotiating and the client can pick the car up at the dealership, but they don't get involved with negotiating or having to discuss price. So the dealer likes it because it's a very quick process for them. All they're doing is having to write up a contract and be nice. And so I think that the fact that we can bring clients into a dealership and have the deals all done, it makes everyone a lot happier through the process. Very good. So in the financing side, people can either finance the car or lease the car. What are some cautions to follow and actions to take? Because so many people think they're getting a great deal, when in fact you can probably get them a better deal in financing. Well, leasing is the complicated means of financing. You need to know cap cost, what the starting price of the car is going to be. You need to know what the end residual is going to be. In other words, what is that car going to be worth at the end of the term of the lease? You need to know money factors, which convert into interest rates. And most people don't know how to access that information. Uh, so leasing can sometimes be complicated, but it will give you a payment that's several hundred dollars less than if you're financing the car. With you, Consumers have to realize that even though there are interest rates on leases or financing, dealers add a little profit into those margins, uh, and you need to know what the interest rate is going to be beforehand so that if you're looking at financing through your credit union and they have a rate of 1.9 and the dealer tells you that their lowest rate is 2.9, at least you know you can fall back on your credit union's rate. So I say get a rate before you go into the dealership and that rate will always be there to protect you. With leases, uh, you can't, there's no one in the marketplace other than the manufacturer that offers lease programs. Uh, you have to be able to have, as we do, we have access to those programs. And as a buyer's agent, I am not going to be hoodwinked by the rates that the dealer provides. I'm going to know what those rates uh, and residuals and money factors should be. But I will tell you that leasing is a wonderful way to be in and out of new cars every three or four years. And uh, it is a way to access payments that are significantly lower than financing. Very good. Let's talk about new technology. We're hearing a lot about electric cars, the possibility of fuel cell cars. We're talking about uh, self-driving, uh, automated cars. Is this going to be something we're going to see more and more in 2020? You're going to see more uh, people be interested in it. But I think that, first of all, uh, the mode of, of, of travel 
may eventually end up being fuel cells where the air mixes with hydrogen and it creates nothing but water as a release and it makes a very smooth, quiet drive. It's better than electric cars. Electric cars are powered by plugging in. So you have to have the facility to plug in, and most people are not don't have access to where they can plug their cars in. When you go to the shopping malls, you'll see that there might be seven, eight plug-in ramps, but it's not very practical. I know people that have, in California, where the fires were, people could not get out because they had electric cars and there was nothing they could do to plug in. Their cars were essentially dead. Uh, So I think that the fuel cell in that technology range is likely going to be the survivor. As far as the the technology for all the toys, that, and that I call them toys in cars, um, I don't think that self-driving cars are near ready uh, and are near prepared to be a mode of transportation. Uh, I think that people are becoming aware of it, and those people that buy cars that are self-driving uh, are not educating themselves on when they should use the self-driving mode. And you're starting to hear a lot about accidents that happen due to the driver not paying attention, due to the driver falling asleep. So they're, not, they're misusing that technology. It's not the safest. Uh, there are too many instructions on dashboards. Uh, people need to be focused on the road. They need to be focused on driving properly, not focused on playing with toys in the car. When do you expect we're actually going to start seeing fuel cell vehicles? I'm sorry, I missed your question. When do you expect that we're actually going to see fuel cell vehicles? I think we're probably five years away. I think there are cars that are already available, uh, but they're not, they are certainly not ready for uh, to be sold in mass at dealerships. And I think that the, you need to educate consumers on the difference of driving with a fuel cell versus driving electric or, or gas-powered cars. And there needs to be much more education available to consumers so that they start asking for demonstrations in the fuel cell-type car. And fi- finally, just tell people what they can find when they go to carq.com to, about the services you can uh, offer to help people get the best deals on cars. Well, we've tried to create services that will reach every type of buyer. We have a pricing service for the buyer that wants to go out and do it themselves. We find you the pricing, tell you what you should be paying, and then you use that information to go shop on your own. We have something called the deal review, which we've just introduced over the last few years. And the deal review is for the consumer that can get a fully itemized written quote from a dealer, from a dealer that they select. We review the deal. We tell them how it should be improved. And then they can take our recommendations and go back and renegotiate with their dealer. Uh, With that service, if we cannot find savings, if the customer has already gotten the best deal, we waive our fee and they, we will tell you as a consumer, yes, you've already got the best deal. And then there's the service for full service where uh, the buyer doesn't want to have anything to do with it. They want us to go out, find them the best deal with the best dealer, get the whole deal written up and 
price protected for them in writing, and they simply go to the dealer or have the dealer deliver the car to them, and all they're going to do is sign their contract. Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest for this segment has been Linda Goldberg. Uh, if you're going to be buying a car, certainly take a look at carq.com. The last five cars I've, done, I've got through Linda, and she's just terrific at doing this. So thanks so much for being on the Money Answer Show, Linda. We'll be back after this. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. Our third segment today is with Paul Moore. Uh, who is the uh, principal at wellingscapital.com, an expert in uh, real estate. Uh, welcome to the show, Paul. Hey, great to be here, Jordan. Let's discuss the importance of getting recession-resistant assets uh, in the current economy. It's, things seem to be going well, but w- why should you be putting money into real estate assets at this point in the economic cycle? You know, Jordan, we're in the longest economic expansion, as you know, in American history. Uh, we just went almost 10 and a half years at the time we record this. And there is definitely going to be a downturn at some point. We don't know when. We don't know how severe. But we do know that in a downturn, people typically are um, hurt pretty badly, especially when they speculate versus invest. You know, speculating is when your principal is not at all safe and you've got a chance to make a return. Investing is when your principal is generally safe and you've got a chance to make a return. And real estate is unique. Real estate's unique in the sense that you can really uh, expect that if done right, the principal is generally protected as long as it's not over leverage. So that's the kind of thing we're looking for at Wellings Capital to invest in. So you've switched out of residential into commercial real estate. What, what kind of commercial properties do you think are well positioned in the current economy? You know, I wrote a book on multifamily investing, Jordan, and it's, um, it's, it's the book's still selling, but part of the problem is multifamily is really overheated right now. And so we've expanded uh, from multifamily out to self-storage and mobile home parks. And the reason is these asset classes still are largely owned by mom-and-pop operators who don't know how or they don't have the desire or the resources to improve the income and get top dollar, top value out of the property. So by acquiring these types of properties, it really does provide a buffer against the recession, first of all. And secondly, it allows us to significantly increase not only the cash flow, but the value, which gives our investors and ourselves a wonderful return on investment in any economy. So what kind of vehicle do you have uh, for people to invest in self-storage and these mobile home parks? Yeah, so in the past, we actually had individual syndications, which allow people to invest directly. But now we have put together a fund, which allows people to be diversified across asset classes, across operators, across geographies, and of course, across assets. One thing that people don't really realize, though, is it also diversifies across time. That may sound odd, but Jordan, diversifying across time means that People who invest today are getting the benefit of the assets that we've already been investing in over the last year. What that means is that, you know, usually, like at this point, three-quarters of the assets in our fund have already been essentially de-risked. I didn't say there was no risk, but there's there are much, much lower risk. The heavy lifting's already been done. And so investors today can know that Three-quarters of the assets have already been dramatically increased, have dramatically increased in value, and that provides a real nice comfort level and buffer for a down, uh, downturn. I mean, some of the assets where the investors are investing with us today in the fund are already almost ready to be sold, and there'll be a significant profit if they're sold at the level we expect them to be. 
So what kind of cash return or dividends or distributions would people be getting? Yeah. And then in the long term on the whole fund, roughly what kind of a total return would you expect people to get? Yeah, so while there's no guarantees at all, uh, we do expect, we, we project an 8% annual cash-on-cash cash return from operations. And then long-term, we expect an additional 7% or more return from appreciation annually. So that's a 15% or higher total annual return is what we're projecting, and we're on track for that or better right now. And people can find out more at wellingscapital.com. Is that your website? Is that correct? That's correct. Wellingscapital.com. What do you think has been the impact of the new tax law on real estate investors, particularly residential real estate? You know, Jordan, in November or uh, early December of 2017, a survey by National Real Estate Investor, NREI, said that almost uh, 50% of people, I think, or more, maybe 70% of people, excuse me, believe that the real estate market had peaked and it was already starting to decline. Two months later, after tax law had been passed uh, December 23rd of 2017, uh, that number uh, shrunk from like 70%, believe it, had peaked down to about 50%, and it has boomed since then. And the reason is bonus depreciation and other forms of accelerated depreciation allow investors to take, imagine if you could take your income in one year only, and that would hit your tax return, but your losses, all your expenses from 15 years would all hit this year. That's essentially what's happened here. So it's really caused a boom in all types of commercial and residential real estate as investors are clamoring to get these deals. The opportunity zones is an additional thing, and a lot of people are excited about those as well. It's an opportunity to uh, forego capital gains or kick the can way down the road on capital gains taxes as well. Very good. Well, thank you. Uh, my guest for this segment has been Paul Moore. Uh, you can find out more about him and his firm, which is Wellings Capital, at wellingscapital.com. Thanks so much for being on The Money Answer Show, Paul. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is the year-end show. And my guest for this segment is Tosha Silver. Uh, she's been very, very popular at our uh, show this year. Her website is ToshaSilver.com. Welcome back to the show, Tosha. Thanks, Jordan. I'm really happy to be here. So let's talk about some of the things that people can do as we're at the end of the year looking towards the new year. And one of the things you say is to clean everything up that you don't need. What, what do you mean by that? Well, I think, if, you know, some of this is in, is in the book, It's Not Your Money, that you and I talked about when I was on here the last time. And there's this basic idea that if you clean up what you can, you're creating room for the new to come in. I mean, on one level, it just makes, you know, logical sense, right? So I like to differentiate the different levels of clearing that you can do. And one is just very basic. Like if people have clean out, clean your house out. Like if you have clutter and junk and things that you've been meaning to deal with forever and you've got not only this brand new year coming in but a brand new decade, clean out what you can to bring some order in and to release the um, constricting energy so that you're making space for the new that wants to come and that can mean your files that can even mean going through you know your wallet and reorganizing it wherever you feel like there's disorder you can start anywhere and some people might be listening to this and going god that that's going to take me all year and i'd be like fine start somewhere and even a little bit of clearing out what needs to go is going to help create a vacuum to bring in the new energy and that can also mean 
you know, for things as simple as if you've been waiting to take care of, you know, those year-end uh, contributions that you want to do, or even let's say you've made some promises to people to return some debts, it's really good before a turning point like this, you know, wraps up. If you can clean something up like that, you're not dragging it into the new year to uh, be constricting on some level. So that's and, talking about the uh, outer plane, right? The uh, cleaning up the outer. That's the plane. outer plane. That's the outer and plane. Up, and then there's also on the inner plane. And yes. on the inner plane, it can really be things like, let's say you've got a resentment on somebody. You have a business partner that did you bad. You got an ex-wife. I mean, who knows what you have? You can really do. It's all in. It's all in the book. It's not your money, but you can do some processes and some prayers to say, allow me to be free of the burden of this resentment. And even if, you know, I'm a big believer in feeling the emotions. If you've got to go somewhere and, you know, go to a recycling center and break 20 bottles about it or, you know, let the anger out somewhere to get it out of your body, that's all good. But I think that some of these things, you really can do a clearing that says, I don't want to go into the new decade with this resentment, with this anger, with this fury at this person, whatever it is, let me release it. You can even write their name down on a piece of paper and burn it. You can write it down and put it in a God box. It's, it's all in the book, and it's amazingly powerful. Uh, it's, I've had people write in and say things like, I did this, and... I immediately got a contract for three times bigger than I've ever had because the anger has been like a ring of fire blocking what could come. Very good. And also you say it's important to receive or be open to receive. A lot of people are suspicious of receiving. Yes. I think that, you know, in a way, I like to think of those first two steps of doing the clearing and on the inner level and also the outer level that they help, you know, clear out the space and on both in both ways and then you know you can start to say well there's as you know there's long prayers about that in the book but even a simple statement like i deserve to receive allow me to know my own worthiness and beauty know that i too deserve to receive i too am a vehicle for the good and what happens for so many people is they're working incredibly hard, they're striving, they're pushing, but they don't actually know that they deserve to receive. And that very belief makes it difficult for the good to come. So I think that there's actually some very simple ways to work with that. But the the clearing seems to create the space so that the other uh, unfolds more easily. Yeah. So tell people a little bit about what they can find at your website, ToshaSilver.com. Well, there's there's a few things they can. There's actually a, a forum, an online forum that I run called Living Outrageous Openness, and all of these tools for how to open to the divine flow, how to open to what I would call a sort of your abundant birthright, the tools for how to work with that spiritually and mentally and emotionally are in these weekly calls that I do with everybody who's part of the community. So um, they can go over, they can hear about that, There's, they can join us. There's also a probably about 30 or 35 classes, courses, on a whole variety of topics similar to this or opening to the intuition or opening to self-love, and they can download any of the courses, and they can also get any of the books. There's four books on there, and there's meditation, CDs, all kinds of stuff. What's that? Your latest book is It's Not Your Money. Just tell us briefly about that book and what people can get from that. Well, it's based in this idea that most money books out there come from the premise that your money is yours, and you have to work very, very hard not only to get it, but how to save it and protect it and not have somebody else take it. And this comes more from a spiritual idea that all largesse, everything comes through divine grace. And so once you cast the burden of that 
of your finances over to the divine. And it's not really only your finances, but anything, your house, your marriage, your body, all of it, that as you pass that burden, you begin to be open to really a kind of miraculous flow that could only come through that experience of opening. And so... um, it's really the release, it's, it's, as, as crazy as it sounds when you first hear this idea, like, of course it's my money. How could I ever let go of that? It's actually a very profound way to live because it starts to open you to being a vehicle for abundance as opposed to somebody who's chasing abundance. Terrific. Well, thanks so much. My guest for this segment has been Tosha Silver. Her latest book is called It's Not Your Money, and you can find out all about the spiritual uh, encouragement and enlightenment she offers people at her website, toshasilver.com. Thanks so much for being on the Money Answers Show, Tosha, very much. Thank you so much, Jordan. Thanks again. We'll be back with our next guest after this. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show on the special year-end edition. My guest for the segment is Bill Westrom. He is the CEO of TruthInEquity.com, which can help people pay off debt much faster than they ever thought possible. Welcome to the show, Bill. Hello, Jordan. Thanks for having me. Let's just start with a little bit of the problem in American financial society today, the amount of debt people have. Uh, Why has this gotten so big and and kind of out of control? Uh, Well... It's because of our economy, because our economy lives and dies by everybody uh, financing their lives, homes, cars, school, you name it. Without credit, we're done. Uh, right now, I think on the, the consumer base, we owe about $15 trillion in all of our consumer debt, and we're depositing approximately $15, $16 trillion in, the, in our checking accounts. And now a lot of people think I'm crazy, but I'll tell you, that's where the problem is. We deposit $15 trillion a year, and we get no financial return. And the way we've been taught to finance our lives, we're, just, we're always paying the maximum amount of interest. And uh, those two just don't mix. So I think if we continue along the same path, along the same model, I think another 25, 30 years, we're going to have some big, big problems because the debt has to continue to rise if the economy's going to survive. And at a certain point, the payments to service all that debt is going to overtake income, and we've got a big problem. So I think the solution is it's not a matter of borrowing money to live your life. It's the terms of repayment and getting rid of that debt. So tell us exactly what is the problem? What is the problem, Bill, that you say it's not the amount of debt, it's the terms of repayment? Explain for people what that problem actually is. All right. Well, if we look at how we've all been told and taught to bank our lives, our income goes into a checking account, and then we chase our life around on a 30-day billing cycle, hitting due dates and paying for this and paying for that. Well, if you look at at the the end benefit to the consumer to do what we're told, all we do is just pay interest our whole lives. We don't get any production out of our our income, while everybody else is, is making top dollar on every move we make. That's a problem. Because if, again, it's such an imbalanced relationship that the system itself is is virtually living off its own life support system, and you name one species on the planet that can survive, you, you can't. So that's the problem, is just the method of how we've been told to bank and borrow and how we get zero production out of all of our hard-earned income. And all you got to do is follow the money. Where's all the money going? It's going to the IRS and taxes, and it's going to the banks and interest, and it's just feeding off of us, you know. And all we can do as a society is manage a budget, right? 
get you know buy cheap gas and just try to fit our lives into the system by which we've been told to bank and borrow. That's and again, I know it's a far fetched idea, but I've been at truth and equity and been at the molecular level intimate level of people's budgets and how they operate and where the problem is. And I've identified the problem. That's it. The model by which we bank and borrow. It's way too lopsided. Yeah. So that's what you call the conventional model. So you at Truth and Equity have another way that people can look at how their money is flowing to tell them some of the benefits they can get out of changing from the traditional model to your model. Well, the number one benefit and, and when you look at our program and, and anybody else in the world on the Internet that's talking about this mortgage acceleration strategy, everybody needs them to know we're all talking about the same darn strategy. It's the same thing. But the, the, the number one benefit to it is that your income is working against debt 24-7. Your income is either saving you interest or it's paying back the note. Monday through Sunday, every hour of every day. And that's the biggest benefit. And that's where the big benefit that our customers see is simply the, what happens when you can apply your income against that debt that's so desperately trying to take money back out of your pocket. So you're just counter, um, you're just bringing a counter effect to what's already going on. And the simplicity of our system and our cash flow management uh, strategy, as I call it, is we're just flowing money from a, a worthless checking account that has no benefit to us into a line of credit. Because when it goes in the line of credit, it acts as a big payment. It's always suppressing the debt. And then you just bring it back out to a checking account to pay your bills. There's no new products. There's no new services. There's no nothing new. Nothing's been created to do this except for the way we flow our money. Just give us an example of how this has changed. I know you've touched thousands of people, but just give us maybe one example of how using this mortgage optimization system has changed people's lives from what they would have done in the traditional model. Uh, I've got a great story of a couple up in upstate New York. They were uh, just a couple of teachers, no kids owned a small home, had another small rental home up in upstate New York, five-figure mortgages, nothing huge. And uh, there were 30 when they started. They're 36 today, so in six years they've had two babies. They paid off uh, their primary mortgage, sold the rental property, took those proceeds, put them into a, a bigger house on a piece of property that they wanted to raise their kids. And uh, just two months ago, literally, I got a phone call at 36, year old, 36 years old. They're waking up on Sunday morning wondering what they're going to do with their money because they have zero debt at 36 years old. They did it in six short years. Greatest story I can tell. So that's typical. So for somebody today who has a 30-year mortgage, and maybe they even refinanced recently, to get a lower interest rate, what kind of a difference could it make to apply your strategy to their traditional model? Well, it's it's almost immeasurable. That's a very hard question to answer because, again, you know, it really boils down to each individual and their their current their particular numbers. But uh, even with that low rate mortgage, right? We can keep that mortgage, right? I got a lot of people with sub four percent mortgages. And I tell every one of them, if that's my mortgage, I'm not changing it. Well, I'm just going to go get a, a line of credit that I know I can use and keep that protected. Yeah, but, uh, again, when you implement the program, it doesn't really matter how you do it. The day your income hits that line of credit, you are receiving benefit. And uh, if you follow, follow our plan as we teach and guide you through the process, if you do what we tell you to do, the results are guaranteed guaranteed to hit the result because of the projections that we make are all based on everybody's current budget. We don't ask for any new budget changes. We don't babysit anybody's budget. We just teach people how to bank like a banker. And again, the, the benefits are immeasurable, whether it's from day one, paying a 30-year mortgage off in seven or eight years, paying a car off in two to three years, getting rid of student loan debt in a short amount of time. 
it encompasses everything, and the benefit is immediate, but the joy comes from hitting that magical zero mark on whatever debt it is, whether it's a year from now or two years from now. Because that's the real benefit that's hard to articulate. It's what happens to somebody on the inside. Because it goes well, well, well beyond the numbers. And what does that person, what's it do to that person's life when they can, like my, my friends in New York, when you wake up on a Sunday morning and say, wow, I don't have any payments. This is all my money. How can you measure that? That's almost impossible to measure. Yeah. So tell people if they go to truthandequity.com, what is the process they should go through to evaluate whether this is appropriate for them? Well, the process that we, that we request people to go through because you know, we take everybody's life very seriously. And there's many layers to everybody's financial onion. And nobody's onion is the same size, same shape. So everybody's very unique. But the only way that we can make a determination on whether you're a good candidate or not, because that's one of our biggest goals, is to make sure we're not making a recommendation to the wrong people, people that should not be doing this. So what we do, we go through a pretty extensive analysis of somebody's budget. So we have you fill out a, uh, what we call our personal profile. It's a real simple form. It's all the numbers that everybody deals with every month. What do you owe? What do you earn? And what do you spend? And if we have that information, then we can run it through our, our uh, proprietary amortization table, and uh, it'll spit out a result. You can be debt-free in five years, six months, six years, three months. It all depends on everybody's numbers. But the beauty of it is for the consumer is once when we provide that information, they're going to go through a one-on-one consultation with one of my financial strategists or me. And so we'll get to have an online meeting so they can see number by number. None of this is uh, hearsay. We quantify and qualify everything that we say, and that'll be right there through the whole, the whole time. And really, in essence, what we're doing through that meeting, besides determining candidacy, is we're really building the roadmap of what the future is going to look like. Because once we get them into the program, we're going to use that same amortization table, the same numbers, everything we saw during that meeting. That's our guide to get us to that debt framework. So that's what they can expect is a lot of hand-holding, a lot of one-on-one attention, and a lot of care in making a good recommendation. Some people may be skeptical. It sounds too good to be true. You probably hear that all the time. If this is such a great idea, why are they not hearing about it from their traditional financial planner or their bank or their financial advisor? Because supposedly those advisors are trying to do what's in their best interest. Well, I tell you what, Jordan, that is the $64 million question. Because if I knew how to present this to everybody so everybody could get it, boy, I'd be a busy guy. Um, but I think, you know, this is not mainstream because it's not on mainstream media. Our, you know, our trusted banks and investment companies that we see on the TV, etc., <clears throat> they're not offering, and nobody's talking about it. You know, it's just the little guys like me and some of the guys on the Internet just trying to spread the word. When it comes to talking to bankers about it and financial planners, etc., I mean, I could probably talk a half an hour on what I think, but, again, everybody's just conditioned to think a certain way, and it's that conventional box of banking and borrowing. Low rate, low payment, don't pay off a mortgage because you can earn more in the stock market. I mean, I, I got all the the excuses and the reasons. But again, it's just change. They don't like change. It goes against the grain of their own business models. I mean, there's a multitude of reasons why uh, our trusted advisors talk down about this. But the bottom line is is they don't understand it. They haven't done the research. They haven't done the analysis. Because uh, it all just comes down to boiling the numbers down. You know, that's how I figured all this out. I'm just a numbers guy, and I figured out how to how the numbers flowed and how the numbers worked, and I built a I built a amortization model to depict future results. And 13 years later, it's uh, 100% accurate. So again, uh, back to your original question, it's just not mainstream. It's just so has not are. become not accepted across the country. We're about to enter a new decade, 2020. Uh, if this were adopted by many more people, what kind of difference could this make in the American public over this coming decade? Oh, if, if this could 
become mainstream, let's just say for sake of argument, this blanketed the country and became mainstream on January 1, I could guarantee you, Jordan, 25% of the population will be debt-free in five years. Five years. Mortgages, credit cards, it doesn't matter the debt, 25% of the population would be debt-free. Now, what would that do to the economy? Wow. <laughs> That's a lot of money back in people's hands that would flow back through this economy. So it would be, it would set this country on a whole different financial trajectory if we could get it to be mainstream. Um, what do I see in the future? Uh, well, I tell you what, what's going on in Washington right now is going to have a big, big impact on what's going to happen in the future. Um, 2020, I don't see a whole lot of change or anticipate any big changes unless something crazy occurs. And uh, come 2021 and into the next decade, we'll see who's running the show in Washington. <laughs> That's my <laughs> guess. Very you know, well, so but my, my aside from is... that, just from an economic standpoint, you know, because I hear this a lot from people, and oh, that you know, we're going to have another housing bubble like we did ten years ago, and I 100% disagree because yeah. the housing market today is being built on normal market conditions with good, strong borrowers borrowing borrowing money. The bubble when it blew up, I was just discovered it was a house of cards because most of the loans out there were C and D paper very low yep. likelihood of repayment. So we're never going to get to that point again. I think if there's going to be an economic crunch, if you will, it's going to come from Wall Street and not the housing market. Yeah, so everybody will be affected, but I think it's Wall Street that's going to tip the scales this time. Very good. Well, thanks so much, Bill. Uh, my guest for this segment has been Bill Westrom, the CEO of Truth and Equity. Uh, you could find out more about how to pay your debts off years faster than you ever thought possible at the free website, truthinequity.com. Thanks so much for being on the show, Bill. Hey, thank you, Jordan. Always a pleasure. And thanks so much to you, the listeners. I hope you've enjoyed this special edition of the Money Answer Show, a year-end edition. We're off to our next decade, starting in 2020. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.